I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it, or on your phone, you can go to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at that passage. There's an incredibly powerful story there that we're going to be looking at and applying to our lives today. Um, The verses we're looking at are also in the bulletin. There's a place to take notes there as well. Let's see here. We're in a series, oops, there we go, called Simple. (laughs) Let me fight with the guy in the back. Um, It's called Simple. Um, And we're doing this because life is complicated. Because life is not simple. Life is anything but simple. Our lives are complicated. Relationships are complicated. Work and school are complicated. Too many things in our lives take up too much of our time. And it's just easy to get overloaded. And that's where we're at. And so we're trying to simplify Life In this series, we're seeing that Jesus comes to make life simpler, right? Sometimes it doesn't quite get to simple, but it's simpler. Um, and we started the series with the simple gospel. This is the good news of Jesus' victory over sin and death. Jesus' victory uh, and those who believe in him get to share in his victory. So it's like if, if you believe in Jesus and he wins, then you win. And his victory over death, his victory over sin means that you're, you get to experience his power and his love and his forgiveness in a way that gives you new life. Um, and you get that victory no matter what your circumstances are and no matter how you feel. So no matter where you're at, this is truth. Okay, your team won, your savior won if you believe in Jesus. And so simple, uh, so, so the simple life begins with a simple gospel and it produces this simple life. That's what we saw last week. Um, the simple life means that we don't need to prove ourselves to anybody because Jesus's victory is enough. And so today we're going to talk about simple community, simple community. Community means in a Christian sense and in Jesus's way means having close friendships uh, where we are truly known and where we truly know others. And simple community keeps our eyes and our heart fixed on Jesus and this victory of Jesus. Because that's where our eyes and our heart need to be fixed. Um, and from that, living the simple life. A community can help us do that. Now the problem is that community like this isn't simple, is it? I mean, friendships that are close enough to actually matter are difficult. Um, If you haven't been hurt in a friendship, you might not actually be close enough to care. Uh, But but friendships that are close enough to matter, these things make life more complicated uh, because we have problems. We don't get along all the time. Sometimes we say things we don't mean, uh, but our friends have problems. And I know a lot of us feel this sort of pressure that if we have a friend who's got a problem, don't you feel this pressure to have an answer? You have this sense of like, well, gosh, if I'm really a friend, I should have something to say here. But I don't know what to say. When people tell me stuff, I'm not really sure how to respond, right? And so life gets more complicated. Um, What if you don't know what they should do? Uh, These things make life more difficult. And it can be scary also for someone to know you closely, right? So it's not just knowing them and feeling this pressure, but 
Are you ready to open up your life to someone else? Are you ready to be known so well that you could say, yeah, that there's nothing that's going on in my life that somebody else doesn't know about? Um, Again, uh, a lot of us just don't want other people knowing our struggles or the dark places in our minds and in our hearts. And these things make things more complicated. And so the alternative, though, to pursuing this kind of community is that we isolate ourselves. We withdraw from community, sometimes completely. Some people just literally live apart from everybody else relationally. But more often, there's areas of our life that we wall off. More often, the isolation is (laughs) in isolation, right? Not just the entirety of our lives, but we'll let the good things come out. We'll let people see the best part of us, the social media version of us. But deep inside, we're alone and we're isolated because we have withdrawn from community. Well, that happened to somebody. This dynamic of isolation happened to somebody in the Bible. In John chapter 4, Jesus walks into someone's isolation and brings to them a community that is simple and that multiplies. And so this is good news because Jesus and his community can make complicated things simple. And that's what we're going to see today. And so in John 4, there's some verses in the bulletin, but before we get to these verses, I just want to paint the background. It's high noon, okay? So it's 12 o'clock, and Jesus is sitting at a well by himself. He's sitting there. There was one well for this entire town. Jesus is sitting by that well, and a woman shows up for water, okay? And Jesus begins a conversation with her, and she's shocked, She can't believe he's talking to her because she is both a woman and a Samaritan and good Jewish men didn't speak to either. Okay, it was sort of inappropriate and crossing boundaries for men to speak to women that weren't their wives or their families back then. Um, And Samaritans were half-breeds. They were traitors and sellouts and they were dirty people according to the Jews. And so Jesus starts this conversation with her. She's shocked. Jesus isn't. Um, And Jesus uses this water She's coming for water. He's there sitting next to the well. And he uses this idea of water to share the good news with her. He shares with her news that really was news, that God is active, that God is working right now in human history, and that he is bringing something new. He's bringing power. He's bringing a new start. He's bringing a fresh start. And he's involving and including people. Jesus is bringing her this news. And in the rescuing of people, God is quenching the spiritual thirst of their souls, okay, and giving them a new start. And so we're going to pick up the conversation in verse 13. It's in your bulletin, but it's also up here. Jesus says to her, because we're talking about this water, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, right? She's there every day getting water for the day. Um, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water swelling up to eternal life. And so Jesus is here offering her salvation, uh, a relationship with God in a metaphor that for her was incredibly compelling. Okay, because getting water for her was probably her most difficult daily chore. It was the thing that she probably dreaded the most because she's got to traipse out of the town to this well why it wasn't in the center of town, I don't know, but it wasn't. So she trapes this town or to the well. She gets this, this big jar full of water, and it's sort of a, it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because the bigger the jar, the more water that you can carry, but the bigger the jar, the heavier it is, 
right? So do I really want to carry this huge jar all the way back? Or maybe it's on my head, right? Um, but if I get a smaller jar, then I might run out of water. Then I got to make two trips. And I certainly don't want to do that. But so every day she's coming to this well, bringing water back to her house. And Jesus tells her, look, there's a better way to live. He says, life can be so much better for you. And he's not talking about regular water. He's saying your soul's thirst can be quenched and fully satisfied. That's what he's offering to her. And so she then says in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, man, anything. I'd love to be rid of this. If you can offer me water that'll make me never thirst, I'm in. And maybe she's bantering back and forth. Maybe she's trying to call his bluff. Maybe she doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. But she's like, yeah, you got water that's going to make me this way. I'm in. Give it to me. And so then Jesus moves on and says in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. Huh? What is this? Is Jesus saying, look, you know what? We all know that women aren't smart enough in this culture to be taught things. We know that it's not proper to teach women anything. And so you need to go bring your husband so that I can teach him and maybe he can share with you. Is that what Jesus is doing? No. No. No, Jesus had an incredibly high view of women, higher than the prevailing views of his day. But no, we got to keep reading actually to find out what Jesus means here. And the key to what Jesus is saying is in the woman's answer in verse 17, which comes next. The woman says, answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Jesus, I want you to hear this. Jesus is treating this woman with incredible dignity. Jesus is treating this woman as though she has been made in the image of God and she is worth so much more than this. Jesus is coming to this woman and he's looking her in the eye and he's saying, you have sold yourself so far short. In some way, you think you've been pursuing freedom. You've been pursuing life without restraints, life without constraints. But let me tell you that what's happened is you have gotten yourself into a downward spiral that has left you as like a shadow of the image of God that is still in you. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants her life filled with glory. Jesus wants this woman's life filled with possibility, filled with influence, filled with power. But now it's not. Instead, this woman, like so many men and women today, in our culture, in our city, some of whom are here and are part of our church family. Um, She has exchanged God and God's ways for the pleasure and the false intimacy of sex and relationships. I mean, this is what she's living for, and she's living a downward spiral. 
I mean, she is desperately craving marriage, I mean, acceptance, the need to feel loved. And we're reading into this a little bit. Like, I want to admit that. Like, we're speculating somewhat based on the details that we have of this story, what's going on. But it seems very clear that this woman seems to be seeking happiness in her life. We could say maybe she's seeking simplicity or the answer for her life in being loved by a man. But it hadn't made her life simple. Actually, it made it more complex. Five failed marriages. And now she's given up even on marriage. Now she'll just give herself away without a commitment from a man just for the chance to be loved by someone. I know that there are some of you who understand this. I know there are some of you who live this. And now we know why this woman is coming at high noon. Now we understand why it's, it's, it's the, the, the hottest part of the day, and now she's coming for water. Nobody did that back then. Back then, all the women of the town would come for water in the early morning. Because not only do you get your water then for the day, but it's cooler then. It's easier then. It's a lot simpler then. And <clears throat> the well actually in some cities or some towns became a place where you sort of show up and you sort of share the news and it was a place of community. It was a place of fellowship. It was a place of togetherness. But this woman wasn't part of that. Um, this woman has been rejected from the community and so she has to come when nobody else is there. And this is the isolation that results from rejecting community. Um, now, for her, most likely the, the people of the town have rejected her. Right? Most likely she has been made, it's been made really clear that uh, because of her lifestyle, they don't want to have anything to do with her. She's not welcome there in the morning. I could imagine her being there for a while and just getting beat up, getting, I mean, and whether it was verbal or whether it was just slights, whether it was just this feeling that she had, um, there she is. And they're treating her this way until finally she just says, look, I'm just going to go when nobody else is there. And so there are times when isolation is thrust onto us and we get rejected. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and heck, our church is made up of so many people who have had this experience of feeling rejected by the church even. Where church has, other churches have rejected them. They've been made to feel less than or not good enough. And so they're sort of cast out and they find a home here because they feel something different. Um, and so the question I want to ask you today as we walk with this woman and sit here at the well with this woman in Jesus is, are you isolated this morning? Have you isolated yourself from community? And again, maybe for some of you, you might not have any relationships at all that are close enough to care where people can help you remember the gospel and can bring you back to Jesus and remind you of what's true. But are some of you isolating certain areas of your life from community? I'm not saying that you have to broadcast everything that you've done to everybody that you know, but I'm asking, does anybody know 
what's going on in your life? Are you hiding stuff from anyone or from everyone? Is there anybody in your life that knows everything that's going on for you? If Jesus were, if you were there with Jesus at the well, maybe Jesus, for some of you, Jesus might say, go call your husband. And you'd have to say, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus would say, that guy you're with, that girl you're with, not your husband, not your wife. Where are you going? Where have you been? Is this making your life simple? Or is this cutting you off from me? But maybe it's something else. I mean, what would Jesus say? Hey, if you say, okay, Jesus, I'm in. I'm done. I'm ready to come clean. I'm ready now to have a relationship with you. I'm ready to try to pursue the simplicity that you're going to offer in your victory. What would Jesus say to you? All right, well, look, there's this one area Right? There's this one thing, this one relationship, this one issue, this one struggle that you have, this one addiction, this one whatever it is. You want to name that. What is it that's keeping you from following Jesus with your whole life? Jesus is saying here, look, I don't want you to be enslaved to anything. Not marriage, not sex, not the need to be accepted by other people. You were made for so much more than this. And I can give you what you need. But to have me, to have this water of life, you've got to let go of what you're holding on to. We need to deal with it. We've got to talk about it. You need to give it up. And so what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is giving her real community. Jesus is giving her God-ordained community. This is supposed to be Christian community, but so often, even as Christians, we fall short of this. Um, But Jesus is giving her both. There's two pieces to this kind of community. It's truth and love, right? It's love and truth. Jesus loves this woman unconditionally. He's inviting her to find her identity in the simplicity of the love of God but he's also calling her to the truth. He's telling her to leave the sin that is enslaving her and making her life impossibly complicated. And so it's, it's truth and love. Both of these things are essential. I mean, typically in the world, uh, we get one or the other. You either get truth or love, right? Friends who party with you on weekends, they're typically all about love, but won't ever tell you the truth that some things in your life need to change that there's some things in your life that are destructive. And they just won't tell you that because they don't feel like it's their place. It's all love with no truth. And so these friendships can tend to sometimes feel like you're really close. They can feel deep, but really they're surfacy, they're non-offensive, and they're tolerant to a fault because they leave us wallowing in our problems. And we never change, we never grow. But the other side is just as bad. I mean, truth without love is judgmental, it's unkind, it lacks compassion. And so truth and love 
um, Chad said this this week, we were talking about this. They're like sodium and chlorine, right? Sodium is this incredibly reactive metal and chlorine, I mean, both these things will kill you. They'll make you sick and you will die if you consume them by themselves. But when you combine sodium and chlorine, they become something totally different. They become a third thing. Sodium chloride is what? It's salt. And salt makes everything taste better. (laughs) Right? I mean, except, well, even salted caramel ice cream. Come on, you put salt in there and it's better. There's salt actually, I think, in regular ice cream too. But, um, But yeah, like that's the point, right? So you take these two things that by themselves will kill you and they will cut you off from the land of the living and from community, but you put them together and all of a sudden, life has zest. All of a sudden, there's spice. Life is enjoyable. And so Jesus gives this woman truth and love. You gotta have both. And so the community of Jesus, when you think about it this way, it's both honest and freeing. Simple community will get complicated when you need to hear things that you don't want to hear. Um, Simple community will feel complicated when you have friends who need to hear things that they don't want to hear. And the hard part is that we say truth and love, we say truth and love, we say truth and love, and yet when we're delivering that loving truth, it doesn't feel like love anymore, right? And this is challenging. Like, what do you do about this? Well, I mean, this is where you need to let the relationship communicate as much meaning as the words. You need to be able to see that the person that is talking to you loves you and cares about you, and you need to wrestle with, um, I mean, really need to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, is this truth that I need to hear? And oftentimes Jesus is saying, yes, I'm so glad that you're finally able to at least ask that question. And this is what Jesus came to bring us. And it's both honest and freeing. Um, You need to have people who care enough about you to say the things to you that are difficult and that you need to hear. So this woman's reaction uh, to this confrontation about her marriage life, her sex life, her relationship life, is in verse 19. She says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's like, really? No, duh. Um, And how she feels about this prophet, uh, we don't find out until, uh, until we see what she does next. And that's in verses 28 and 29. So let's jump there. Verse 20 and 29 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She left her water jar. Why? Because she took the water of eternal life. Because she had her thirst quenched in a way that that water jar never, ever, ever could. And so she goes back into town And said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I love this. Do you see her testimony? Like, what does she say about this guy that she just met, right? Hey, come meet Jesus. 
He's a man who confronted me about my past and my present. He told me all the bad stuff I ever did. She needs to take a marketing class, I think. Right? Hey, everybody, listen. No, 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 I got to tell you something. No, 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 no. Like, like, seriously, focus. Okay, there's this guy, Jesus, and he told me every sin I've ever committed in my whole life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he told me about my sexual sin. He told me about my manipulative sin. He told me about my controlling sin. He told me about my insecurity and how I cope with that by controlling other people. He told me everything I've ever done. Don't you want to meet him? I don't either. (laughs) And yet, that's what she says. I mean, I can imagine the folks in the town that are hearing her, right? She's like, come, he told me all the bad stuff I ever did. And they would say, we've been telling you the bad stuff you ever did for years. Like, what's so big about this guy? And I just imagine her looking them in the eye and saying, yeah, but you told me to condemn me. He told me to set me free. Hallelujah. I mean, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. So much more than doctrines. So much more than a place that you show up on Sunday. So much more than just a bunch of people who claim to follow Jesus. Like, this is, Christianity is about Jesus. It's about Jesus who comes and finds you in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through. He looks you in the eye and he says, I have water that will quench your soul. And if you would let go of the filth that you're drinking right now, I will make you whole. I want to meet that guy. Life is incredibly complicated when we're hiding from other people when we're hiding our brokenness, when we're hiding our problems. But Jesus brings us the simplicity of being honest. Jesus literally sets us free. I'm not perfect, but Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. And that doesn't make me like feel okay about what I've done, but it makes me feel forgiven and that Jesus is working in me to help me grow. Man, that's what we need. And so it goes on. Like Jesus creates this community for her. He shows her what real community is like. He doesn't just take her in and and, and endorse all that she's doing. You know, he's not pro-adultery, right? But he's not anti-adultery either. He doesn't condemn her. He welcomes her to new life. I mean, this is what she does. And so Jesus creates this real community and then she ends up leaving there and creating community with others. Um, Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Like this was life-giving for her. Like as much as it would, it would have been shameful for her to admit all this stuff. And yet it's not because 
Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God, and he says it's okay. He says I'm forgiven. He says I'm free. He says he's not going to condemn me. And so you know what? I can admit my sin. This actually can be the place where I can brag about him. Like in this moment, she's not proud of her sins, but she's proud of Jesus. And so she's using her sin as the opportunity to brag about just how much he loves, just how much he cares, just how much he understands. And this entire town says, all right, we're coming. We need to check this out. And they believed in Jesus because of her testimony. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. They're like, we were renting your faith, this change in your life, this excitement that you had. Or we were like, all right, we're in. But then we met Jesus and now we know him. And what he said to you about calling your husband, well, he said to me, about the way I conduct myself at work. I'm putting that ahead of everything else. But somebody else says, yeah, well, he told me to call my family and to come, and I couldn't do that because my family's left me, because I left them. But he's done for you what he did for He's done for us what he did for you, and we now know that he can save us. And so Jesus gives this woman real community, then she gives that to others. She goes back into this town and she finds out she's not the only one who's lost. The whole town was as lost as she is. It was lost as she was. And they want what she has. And I was thinking about this this week and I thought, okay, I've been in a situation before where I've been socially ostracized in a radical way. This is part of my own story, my own journey. And I remember how hardened I became um, when I was rejected. So socially ostracized, socially rejected, I ended up having to conclude in my own heart and my own mind, like, I'm not going to care what anybody thinks about me. And I remember just sort of giving up on people. And I remember sort of like calcifying my heart, like, Okay, you've hurt me enough, no longer. You're not going to hurt me anymore. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody thinks. And I decided that I was the smartest person on earth and that if anybody disagreed with me, they were just stupid. Um, and that was how I coped with the pain of being rejected and, the, and how I coped with isolation. I decided that I was king and I was smart. I was right. Um, I can imagine that that's what happened with this woman. In order to deal with this, in order to live in this town, she would have to calcify herself so that it wouldn't keep hurting her right? You get that? And so she learned to live by herself. She learned to live apart from everybody else because that's the position they put her in. And what's amazing to me is that she goes back into the town and she's still just as alone because nobody else knows Jesus, right? And it seems like Jesus took that sort of calcified heart that says, I don't care what y'all think, and he turned it into something wonderful. He turned it into something that was uh, like a courage. He turned it into bravery. He turned it into strength that would be willing to say, 
It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I know and I love Jesus. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because Jesus knows and he loves me. And so for Jesus to be able to take that, it just reminded me that all of the stuff that we bring into our relationship with Jesus, some of the stuff he'll cut away, some of the things that we do, we stop doing. I mean, there's this whole dynamic of renewal that takes place, but Jesus also takes all the crap that we've been through, all the brokenness, even a lot of the sin that we deal with, and he will turn it around so that we can then help others. Because that's what's happening. I mean, could you imagine Jesus telling you to go back into the town and be like, hey, I want you to tell everybody what you've done. I want you to tell everybody everything that you've done. I want this to be the testimony that you offer to everybody. Be like, uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, can I just tell them that you're really awesome? <laughs> can I just tell them that you forgive? But that's not what she does. And so it's just, it's interesting to me that Jesus actually takes this woman's particular brokenness and the coping mechanism that she had to resort to to live and he turned that into strength, courage, and bravery so that she could share the gospel freely and without fear. Man, like I wanna know what what is God, what is Jesus gonna do in your life with your brokenness? What is Jesus gonna do with the stuff that you've brought into your relationship with him? And how is he gonna use that? to share and to help others. Um, and so, yeah, so she goes and the town comes to Jesus. The town believes along with her. And I just want to say, like, this is what happens when we're honest, when we just put it out there about how amazing Jesus is. We can talk about how much we're not amazing just to make sure people know that Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. He doesn't make perfect people. He, makes, he takes people who are sinners and who struggle and he makes them forgiven, <laughs> You know, and then they share that forgiveness with others and that's what changes people. That's what changes and creates real community. This is what happens. In Psalm 51, there's this psalm of repentance where King David does this awful thing where he commits adultery and then he lies about it and then he murders the guy, the, the, the husband, and then he, uh, he keeps lying. I mean, he just does all this awful stuff and then he's confronted, he finally comes clean. And Psalm 51 is a psalm that he writes where he confesses his sin. And verse 1, confession. Verse 2, confession. Verse 3, confession. Verse 4, confession. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Just confession after confession after confession. He's like, I am so filthy, dirty from all of what I've done that I have got to scrub myself clean with verse after verse after verse after verse after verse of confession. And what's amazing is that this is in Psalm 51. And so a thousand years before this woman met Jesus, David actually gave us an example of this. David came out with his own sin and clearly communicated to the whole nation of Israel that he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And even worse than that, he was a murderer and an adulterer, a thief and a liar. And it became one of the places. (laughs) This is what our God does. It became a place, that psalm became a place where the entire nation, if they never did it anywhere else, could come and together they could say, all of us are in the same boat. All of us have darkness. All of us have things that we're hiding. And under the veil of this psalm that we're now singing together every so often, we can finally come clean. That's what happens. When someone is honest, they create community. 
at the end of Psalm 51, this is what David says. Verses 10 to 13, create in me a clean heart, O God, because mine is filthy. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Jesus did all of that for this woman at the well. But then look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Follow the pattern. Follow this psalm. Follow the woman at the well. Realize that real community starts with Jesus and his unconditional loving acceptance of you. And come clean. Don't hide. You don't have to tell every person all of your sins. I'm not saying that. But you need to build a community around you of honesty uh, where you are known and you know others. And so what does this look like for us? Um, Well, the biggest thing that this looks like for us here in our church is in life group. Okay, we have life groups. These are groups that meet during the week. They're listed in the back of the bulletin. Um, These are places where we can go to try to build this kind of community together. Okay? Um, Now, and, and I think it is vital for all of us to be in community like this. Okay, now, some of you might be thinking, wait, hold on a second. I thought a couple weeks ago you said Jesus has done it all. But now you're telling me I have to go to a life group. Like, what's the deal there, right? You're saying I have to go to life group? So is it Jesus plus life group means I'm saved? Um, And to that I would say, well, look, don't go to a life group because you have to. But go to a life group because you have something to share. Because you have a testimony to share. Go to life group because this week you have felt freer because Jesus looked at you with all of your sin and told you that he loves you. You want to be in a life group because even if you fail, when you show up at your life group, you can say, I've been a failure this week. There are people in your life group, there are people in the life groups who need other people to show up and be honest. All of our life groups need people that are willing to go first. Sometimes it's, look, I failed. I did things I shouldn't have done or I did this thing I shouldn't have done. Sometimes it's, you know what? Somebody came to me and confronted me or told me something that was difficult and I got totally defensive and I totally rejected them and I need to stop. I need to, ah, Jesus called me up quick and I failed to respond the right way. Like that's your testimony if you show up at a life group, if you show up in any kind of a friendship where you say, look, I failed, but God forgives, that builds this kind of community. And it's simpler, isn't it? Isn't it simple? I mean, it's so complicated when we're trying to cover up our stuff, we're trying to put on our best face. Wouldn't it be amazing if you just walk into a place, if you knew one or two people, maybe a group, and you could say, yeah, here's what happened this week. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to be in a place where you could be free to be yourself? (sighs) 
Because again, the community is both for you and for others. I mean, it is amazing that even before we fix all of our issues, right, this woman, this woman is like an hour old in her relationship with Jesus, and she's already telling everybody what she's experienced. Because Jesus spoke to her. Jesus is speaking to you today. You've got something to share about Jesus. Even if it's simply, I'm forgiven and set free. Now, this is supposed to be simple, right? This is supposed to bring a level of simplicity in your life where if you have people in your life that you can talk to about these things, it makes life simpler because you don't have to hide, right? I know that some of you are incredibly busy and the idea of adding to your busy schedule a weekly commitment where you got to show up for an hour and a half or two hours um, feels overwhelming, feels daunting, Um. To you, I would say two things. First, please be careful that you are not thinking that you're busier than you actually are. Um, do you have two hours? I mean, just do you, are you spending time on social media? Are you spending time like watching television? Like, think, and I know that's downtime stuff, and I get all that. But like, just take a look at how you're spending your time. Do you have ninety minutes or two hours to be able to carve out just where you can say no to some other stuff? Because this kind of community is so vital. So that's the first thing I would say. But the second thing I would say is, look, if you can't go to a life group, then hear me. Like, the purpose of a life group is to help you have the kind of community that you need. And so you need one or two other people. And maybe they're people that you see here on Sunday, and you need to make sure that when you're here, you have a meaningful connection. Okay? Like this isn't, I mean, this is like, this is for you, right? You need to make sure that that person that knows you well actually gets to hear how you're doing. You need to know that that person is praying for you. And frankly, you need to ask someone else how they're doing. Like it's a both and, you want to give and take, right? And so even if it's just here on Sundays, or if you need to do it on the phone or texting or Skype or FaceTime, like whatever it is, like these are wonderful things that keep us connected, I mean, it's amazing that we can have community across the city, across the country, across the world because of technology. You want to take advantage of that. Even if it means, hey, at 9 o'clock at night, I'm going to get on the phone with this person and we're just going to talk about how we're doing this week. That's community. This is what we want to aim for. Um, I had a chance to talk to someone this week who had a real passion and a vision. He wanted to enter into his work environment to be an incredible influence for Jesus. He wanted to be this amazing example to others. And he went into this environment and he disconnected from community. And guess what happened? Like he didn't pull anybody toward Jesus, but he got dragged away. And he found himself lost and broken, depressed. And this week... He got to sit down with me and somebody else and just by talking about what had happened to him, life came back in. He rose from the dead, spiritually speaking. Um, and he walked out of our meeting alive again. I mean, this is what community is. This is what community does. And I want to encourage all of you to jump in and get into community for your sake and for the sake of how God might use you for others.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us through this what community is. Thank you for giving us your, your unconditional love and acceptance. We pray that you would help us as we experience this with you, that you would push us to share this kind of community with others. Put on each one of our hearts the names of one or two people where we can go deeper, where we can get real. Help us to do this so that you would receive glory and so that we would be lifted up and lift others as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.